0: Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gamble's Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the book of Romans chapter 12, Pastor Murphy showed us that a Christian must honor and prefer his Christian brother. Today we'll see how to avoid false modesty and how to have a balanced view when preferring others.
1: Okay, if you've got your Bibles, you need to turn with me, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans, chapter 12. I'm reading from verse number 10 of Romans, chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse number 9 to verse number 21, but we'll come to our text in verse number 10. Well, let's read from verse number 9 to verse 21, a very short passage, but um, a subsection of Paul's writings. Um, so we have here in verse number 9, he said, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not, Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible... As much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, you shall heap coals of fire upon his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We're going to pick up verse number 10, where Paul writes, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Now, to properly understand what the Apostle Paul is saying, I think we need to keep in context the passage that Paul is dealing with. Remember in the earlier parts of this chapter, the Apostle Paul is reminding believers that they all have been endowed with gifts. In verse number three, he said, God has given to every man the measure of faith. In verse number four, he says, all members have not the same office. In verse number six, he said, having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So we all have gifts, we all have grace, we all have faith, but it is not at the same level. We have not been given the same gift. So he cautions us in verse three, I say to every man among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, According of God to dealt to every man the measure of faith. In other words, we all have gifts, but we all, all our gifts are not the same. And we ought to be not, not to be so conceited see, in regards to our gifts. So he's saying to you here, take the lead and be forward in honoring the other person and recognizing uh, the fact that they too have gifts, and you have to have a proper balance and proportion as to how you see their particular gifts. So, this boils down to two things what I think of myself, or what you think of yourself, let not a man think more highly than the other think of himself. So, it has to do with balancing what you think of yourself, and number two, what you think of others, and others preferring one another. What I think of myself and what I think of others impact how I relate and how I react and respond to others. And it's the intersection of what I think of others and what I think of myself that really, really determines our actions and behavior. And we will either result in elevating ourselves or we will end up in devaluating others. And Paul is saying to you, quite frankly, in this passage, As a believer, put others before yourself. I don't know if you know this, but throughout Christian history, nothing has done more irreparable damage to the life of the church than the failure to put this injunction that Paul mentions here into practice. It has resulted in chaos, in confusion, in division, in in, in schisms, uh, and simply because uh, people don't have a right attitude towards other people. You remember uh, the church at Corinth. And uh, we don't have to go through the passage to to fully garner what that is about. But in Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, remember that Paul had to deal with this whole problem of attitude of these Corinthians. And the reason why Paul had to do with the attitude of the Corinthians is because they were putting Paul and Apollos and Peter and they were having different attitudes towards these men. They were not looking at the fact that Apollos has the gift of eloquence. He's a fantastic speaker. Paul has the gift of teaching. He's very didactic in his teaching. Peter, on the other hand, neither has speaking ability, no teaching ability, but he's very, very practical. He can take this and apply it. So the problem is that they are now demeaning the apostle Paul. They're saying, you know, Apollos has far more eloquence than you. We love Apollos. We love him. And they began to attack uh, Paul. Uh, They were saying, you know what, Apollos is our favorite preacher, Paul. Number two, they were saying, you know, We have a wisdom that not even you, Paul, have you that when Paul has to rebuke them for that. And then thirdly, they were saying, you know, we we really don't value your ministry as much as we value Apollos' ministry. That was their attitude towards Paul. They had a belligerent attitude towards Paul, a disdainful, they said that, you know, when he is away, he can speak boldly. But when he's with us, he's like a little pussycat. He can't say anything. See? That's what it said. See? His speech is contemptible. He's a man of words when he's aware, but when he comes, he can't even speak well. That was their view. Of, that was their attitude towards Paul. And Paul had to deal with it. And the way that Paul deals with this carnal attitude that was manifested by these Corinthians And so that they have a a better balanced understanding of what our text means, I want to use that to show you that don't carry this verse to the wrong extent. And when I explain what it is, we can give the impression that when Paul said, you know, you're not preferring one another, that uh, you'd be so reticent and so reserved that when you ought to do something, you don't do it. For example... Something needs to be done in the church. You know you've got the gift and the talent to do it. You know God has given the gift and the talent. You know that. But you can take this verse where you push forward so and so to do the job who doesn't have the gift and the talent to do it. Now that's mock modesty, that's not what Paul is teaching. I'll show you that's not what Paul is teaching. Because the same man that told you prefer one another, he told these these Christians, follow me. Follow me. Is he contradicting himself? That's why he said you must have a proper evaluation of others and a proper evaluation of yourself. You need to know what your gifts and your talents are and what the gifts and talents of other believers are. You need to properly evaluate to know when you need to be reticent and when you need to be more forward. In this matter. So, Paul is not suggesting uh, in this text that we suspend facts and judgments and we ignore the God given gifts that we have and push people forward who don't have the gifts that we have and don't have the talents that we have. That would be a dereliction of duty and would cause more chaos. And more um, ineffectiveness in the church. So that's what Paul is saying. In other words, he's not calling for a mock modesty. He's asking you to be very, very real. That's why the word honor has to do with evaluating something and putting a price on it. You look at it very carefully, you assess it, and you say, This is what the price is. That's what you need to do with believers. You should have an idea in our church who can do what, who has talent for what. See, yeah. That's what you should do. And assess that. And based on that, you operate within that sphere. See, Imagine a accountant sitting in our church who is adept at doing accounting, very good at doing accounting. That's their forte, that's their strength, that's their skill. The church needs somebody to help with the books. And somebody put their hand. Who ain't got a clue about accounting to do? Who don't know anything about bookkeeping? The person sitting there knows that. See, The proper thing for that person to say, I volunteer to do the job. You've given the opportunity for somebody else. But you realize the person who wants the job can't do the job. It'd be very foolish of you to sit there and realize that and don't respond to it. Well, I, in honor preferring one another. That's not true. Because Paul is saying, evaluate each believer and come to an idea of what is their worth, what is their value, what is their talent, what is their gift. That's the basis on which you make those decisions. This is why we need to spend time going into the Bible to understand the biblical teaching on these, these subjects. To give us a better understanding, because we can be so misled in, under, in, in misinterpreting this Bible that we just think that we just sit there and do nothing, and let everybody else who don't have the gift that we have do the thing, even though they don't have the gifts and talents. That's a dereliction of duty. God has given those gifts to be used in the church. Now, on the other hand, if you've got two people in the church that can do accounting, or two people can do whatever it is, your, your your thing should be, okay, let me give them the first chance. That's something completely different. Am I confusing you or do you understand what I'm saying? You're grasping what I'm saying? I hope so. See? What I'm avoiding, you uh, taking this passage of Scripture and completely giving a false modesty about yourself. You know, the person who says, Yo, I'm nobody, I don't have any gifts, I'm nothing, I don't have anything to offer. Those are the most conceited people you'll ever meet because they know that it's not true. Everybody knows that it's not true. So you're just lying on yourself. See? It's just vain conceit. See? What I'm saying to you is that we must have a true evaluation of our gifts and the gifts of others and on the basis of that we prefer one another we go ahead to put another person before. This is not a text that allows you to be idle and thoughtless and allow people to push themselves and fulfill positions and engage in activities that they are not suitably to be gifted for. See? I don't know if you know this, but we always get the let me help um, thing that comes in. And there are, every time we see the let me help and somebody said they want to do this, they want to do that, we have to decide... Is this person suitable for this ministry? I've had people be mad with me because they put down their name to do something and I don't feel that they're capable of doing it. And when we, as deacons meeting the thing, I said, Listen, this person ain't got the talent for this. And the person gets mad. I put it down four times. But what if you don't have the gift for this? Now, don't assume, by the way, that we didn't, that, you know, I'm not, I don't want anybody to say because I didn't get a response. That's what he passed. I'm not talking about that. Quite frankly, I'm talking about somebody to lead music. Somebody who wanted to be the music director in our church. And three or four times, they wanted to be music director, but they don't, they don't have the ability to, they can't sing then. Let me say it very raw. They can't sing. Now, if you can't, I don't mean you can't sing. Everybody can sing, but you know what I mean. But to have to, to lead a church and direct a choir of a church, you have to know music. You have to have the talent to, to, to sing. You have to be able to carry a note. See? It'd be very foolish of a pastor to recognize that this person can carry, carry, carry a note, and then they choir the director. And they're coming up here Sunday morning, and you sit down there laughing at the pastor. What kind of an idiot put this person in charge? If you look with me at Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, when Paul is dealing with this attitudinal problem that they had towards him, uh, that was way off the compass. Very malignant attitude. uh, Even questioning the apostle Paul's apostleship, etc. Notice what he said in verse number 9. And verse, number, verse number, number 10. By the way, the Apostle Paul is going to use sarcasm to deal with these people. He's not going to attack them directly. But you going to use, you know, you can say something that you don't mean, like, I love you, but I don't mean it. You're the prettiest person in the world, but you know, obviously it's not true. That's what I mean by sarcasm. Saying things, but not meaning. That's what he did in in, in verse number 9 to 10. He said, for I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made spectacles unto the world and to angels and to men. Notice, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are what? You are wise. We are weak, but you are what? We're strong. You are honorable. We are despised. So Paul is saying here, quite frankly, look, we, 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 we apostles, we are fools, we are weak, and we are despised. But you Corinthians, you are wise, you're strong, and you're honorable. He's, he means the very opposite. But he's using sarcasm to let them see the folly of comparing themselves and elevating themselves against God's apostles. So these contrasts that Paul is using here reflect the venomous attitude and the poisonous mentality that these people held towards the Apostle Paul. And he responds to them and reminds them by measurably using sarcasm to undermine their attitude towards him. See? In other words, the Apostle Paul was God's apostle. The Apostle Paul was their teacher. Later on, he will say, I am your father in the faith. You are my spiritual children. See? Now, let me ask a question. Did he not say in honor, preferring one another? So how come now he's claiming his authority? How come now he's claiming his, his fatherhood over them? See? Because you don't suspend reason and reality to put this into place. Clearly, Paul had the authority as an apostle. He he asserts that authority, and he will say unto them in verse, uh, uh, look at verse number 14 and 16 of the same chapter. He said, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons to warn you. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, what? Be ye followers of me. See now, how can he be stating that making that statement? Follow me when he's saying prefer others if you don't understand the context of the passage, see, and what Paul means by honoring, evaluating the Christian, evaluating the gifts and the talents, and coming to an estimate of what those gifts and talents are. And depending on that evaluation. You prefer one another. See. See. There has to be a balance because if we don't explain that to you, you go away saying, you know, I must sit idly by, sit in reticent. I know I can do the job. I've got the talent for the job. The other person who wants to do the job or do the, the, whatever it is clearly doesn't have the talent, whatever it is, and therefore I sit in silence and then the church suffers because the wrong person is doing the job. That doesn't make any sense. Clearly, it doesn't make any sense. Let me use a practical example. Imagine we have a discussion in the church going on about some biblical doctrine, some biblical teaching. We have a believer in the church who has a clear, great understanding and intelligence and understanding of biblical truth. But while the discussion is going on, the believer says nothing and allow other people who don't have that intelligence, who don't have that understanding to take over the floor because in honor preferring one another. Okay. Again, it's a misapplication. You have a right. God has given you that gift. God has given you that talent. God has given you that insight. You have a right to... Express your opinion and not be silent. That's your gift. And that's not the right application of this verse either. Now maybe in the church you've got five or six people, or maybe even more, who have a, a clear understanding of biblical truth. And, and, and In a case like that now, in honor preferring one another, you let the other guy go first. See? You don't suspend common sense and judgment and throw all the canons of common sense overboard to apply this verse of Scripture. You've got to understand what Paul is saying here to properly apply it to yourselves as believers. So judgment uh, is involved uh, here in the application of this. So let me say something else. What the Apostle Paul is really doing in this chapter is saying that in the Christian life, there's no rare, no place for pride and conceit. That's what he's really emphasizing here. That's why he said, preferring one another. No place for pride and conceit. You know, it's our Lord who taught us in the beatitude. He said that let us be poor in spirit and meek and humble. Those are the characteristics of those who belong to the kingdom. He emphasized that. In case you still don't understand what I'm saying... I want to use an illustration that our Lord gave in a parable that brings out exactly what he's talking about here. Look at um, Luke chapter 7. Okay, I think I've got the wrong um, reference here. Let me tell you what it, the, the parable is about. I think you know the parable. Do you remember our Lord told a parable of a man who had a feast? And he invited people to the feast. You remember what the Lord said? That some people got into the feast and every man went to the first front seat. You remember the story? Gone to the front seat. And our Lord said that after they had sat down, settled in the front seat, other people came in. More important than these fellows, you know. These are not the VIPs. But they want to be VIPs. They got so much pride in them, they want to be up front. And another guy comes in and the master said, come up here, sir. Come up here, sir. Sir, can you go back there, please? Can you just go back, let this guy come? See. Remember the parable? And the Bible said they were embarrassed. See. That's the proper application of that. People wanting the front stage. People wanting the limelight. People who want to always be first. And then later on, somebody said, okay, uh, could you please give that gentleman the seat first? This is Sir John here. This is the PM. Let the PM sit here, please. You're not the PM. You know. Our Lord is teaching you that have a very humble attitude about yourself. Have an assessment of yourself. Have an assessment of other people. But don't be always pushing yourself to the front. Don't be the first to always want to be in line. See, Put others first to have a proper assessment of those other people. So don't grab the first seat, don't rush ahead of the line, don't always crave to be the limelight. And by the way, know your abilities and your assets, but also know your liabilities and your deficiencies. See? You've got both, and know when to react and respond appropriately because of the proper assessment and evaluation of the situation. This is what our Lord is teaching here uh, in this passage. You see, the primal problem that we have is pride. Did you hear what I just told you? The primal problem that we have, I didn't say that I have or you have, that we have is pride. Pride. Remember that pride is what defiled heaven and what defiled earth and not what is Noah's trying to defile the church as well. See? And that's why Paul is calling for this attitude of humility in this particular passage of Scripture. See? It ruined heaven, it ruined earth. Let us now allow it to ruin the church. See? Let's put it in check first in honor preferring one another. So pastor, if that is true, What practical things we can do now as Christians to have a right evaluation of ourselves so that in our judgment of others, we have a more balanced view on this matter? What what, what are the practical things that we can do? I want to mention three things quickly that uh, will help us as Christians. The first one is this. Have a proper estimate of yourself by remembering who you are and what you used to be. I repeat that. Have a proper evaluation, estimate of yourself by remembering what you were and who you are as a person. I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter Three. the same man that wrote these words let me give you his assessment of himself he says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 8 he says unto me who am less than the least now, how can you get less than the least? It's a paradox. Paul is saying, I'm a zero. But I'm not only a zero. I'm a zero. The edge run out. Rubbed out. See? That's how he, he, notice what he says. I am the less than the searchable riches of Christ. Paul never got over the awe that he became a preacher. He Never got over it. How can I, a murderer, a persecutor, a blasphemer, a hater of God, how can I now be a preacher? He never got over the wonder of it all. Because Paul knew one thing. He did not deserve it. A proper evaluation of yourself. How do you see yourself? What were you before you got saved? You weren't sweetie, were you? More like a tambourine, sour tambourine. See? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're not as nice as you are today. And by the way, what about what of the things that you used to do? What if I would just put it in a placard or put it on the, on, the, on the video screen to see what you used to be, what you used to think before you got saved? Places you've been, people you've been with, things you've done with other people. What if people were to see that? But you are some paragon of virtue today. Now remember who you were. Remember where you came from, what God did in your life, where he took you from. That will humble you, sir. That will keep you wanting to put the other person before you because I will tell you this. I will tell you this. I can honestly say this. I think I'm the worst person on planet earth. I'm telling you that. I am telling you that now. That's how I see myself. You see, you don't know where I came from. So you can't have that evaluation, that concept. So you always have to go back and have a proper evaluation of what you were and who you are, see. Any king's daughters in here, any queen's daughters or brothers in here, any person who have a long pedigree of an important family, no, we are all ordinary people coming from very ordinary ancestry. And quite frankly, a lot of things that we did were so shameful, we would never want anybody to know. It's that that keeps us humble. Now I remind you when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, that's about 30 years after he was saved, He's had a long time to reflect on this matter. He's now matured. And I'll tell you what Paul discovered. The older he got and the older he looked into his heart, the worse he saw himself, what he used to be. What an evil heart we have. You have any bad thoughts any time in your Christian life after you became a Christian? Ever, anything you ever thought about? You, oh, you think about all good things? See? Been any places you shouldn't been? Done anything you, you shouldn't done since you've been a Christian? Oh, my dear friend, it's only when you reflect on those things you become humble. That's why I said a proper evaluation of yourself. You never lied your way out of a situation yet to save your face since you've been a Christian? Ever took up anything that was not yours? Ever watched something you shouldn't watch? Oh, yeah, that's you. That's you. See? A proper evaluation of yourself. And by the well, way, What poignant words to put in an autobiography that I am the worst of the least of all the saints. (laughs) What an autobiography that is. I'm saying to you as a believer here this morning, you've got to have a true evaluation of yourself. And then number two, you have to have a right assessment of your gifts. A proper assessment of your gifts. Now, the reality is that we are not all the same. The reality is that we are different, that we are uniquely different one from another. And by the way, it's our differences that cause pride. If we were all alike, look all alike, had the same talent, all alike, all the gifts, we would not have a problem of pride. But because we have different abilities and different gifts, pride comes into play. So, do you know how you respond when you realize that you are different and maybe you have got talents that other person doesn't have? Another ability, you know what you do, what you what you You know how, you know how to solve that problem? Get a proper evaluation of your gifts and, and ask yourself three questions. Look at uh, First Corinthians chapter four. Here are the three questions you ask yourself when you recognize your differences. Look at verse 7. First question Who made you to differ from another? Who made you different? You yourself? Madam, if you got any kind of beauty, you didn't get it from yourself, you get it from your mom. If you didn't get it from your mom, you get it from somebody down in her line to the jeans. See? If you have intelligence, that is superior to others within the church, you didn't get that yourself. That was given to you by God. See, So the question is, when I begin to look and I see them different, the question that I ask myself is, who made you to be different? The only answer is what? God. God. Second question that Paul says in verse 7, and what hast thou that thou hast not received? So if you've got a gift or talent that you have. How did you get it? It was given to you. you. You just received it. You didn't make it or manufacture it if it's given to you. So the question is who made it to be different? God. Who gave you what you got? God. Here's the third question. Now, if thou hast received it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? In other words, why butter up yourself and pride up yourself as though you didn't receive it when in actual fact God gave it to you? See? So what Paul is saying here, there is no, should be no room for pride because you differ from another believer. You can evaluate that believer, evaluate yourself, understand their gifts, put this principle into operation. But it's not a cause for pride on your behalf. And the third practical thing you can do is estimate or evaluate the area of service that God has given to you in the church and ask yourself, why is God using you in that capacity? And by the way, that brings us back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11 to verse 14. You know what Paul said about himself and his ministry and the part and the role he played in the church? He said, it is God that enabled me putting me into the ministry. Again, it is God. He put you there, brother. He put you there, sister. If you're serving in the church as a Sunday school teacher or you're a youth leader or you are helping with the Sunday school or you're engaged in the rehab ministry or whatever, it's God that gives you that ability. Nothing for you to feel proud about. The credit goes to God. Then Paul says, it was an act of mercy I received mercy. See, I didn't deserve it. Then Paul says, it was a result of the grace of God towards me. The favor of God. And then Paul said, God did it to show forth his long-sufferingness. That he suffered me long. He put it with me for a long time. See. And then the fourth thing, fifth thing Paul said, he chose me and he saved me to be a pattern for other people so he can show other people that he's kind to them, he's merciful to them, he can show grace to them as well. It all goes back to God. God. So a proper evaluation of yourself, a proper evaluation of your gifts, and your proper evaluation of the service or task or ministry that God has given to you. See? That is what will help you to be humble and to put this injunction in, the place. in other words, there is not one iota of reason for the believer to be proud. It is all of God. And the application of this verse of scripture in Romans is asking us to be humble. See, Recognize the value of each believer, the talent, that God. Put a, put a value on it. And when you see that person has about the same gifts as you and the same talent as you, when something has to be done, let them go first. Don't push yourself. Prefer them one another. But if you see a person who doesn't have the gift, the talent, of God, and then they don't have the talent and the task, then you need to, you know, to be more forward. See, just like Paul said, "Follow me." See, in other words. We've got to understand we don't suspend the canons of reason and common sense in order to just put this one verse into place. See? It has its application. We have to grasp the meaning and see how it applies to us as believers. So we must be dearly affectionate one to another in brotherly to love. But in addition to that, we must properly evaluate each other and in honor preferring one another it boils down to our attitude towards each other in the church paul starts with this and this is central to everything he's going to say afterwards in this chapter
0: be sure you join us again next time here on sermons of grace as pastor murphy shows us an attitude that a christian should not have towards the work of the church If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.